happy Cinco de Mayo, friends, or amigos, I suppose. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. Uh, I am so privileged to be able to preach today on Kids of West Sunday. I, uh, I arm wrestled Robert for this and actually won, which is really a big shocker. Um, I don't know what that means. But I'm, I'm really seriously like, thankful to be up here. I, I think the value of a healthy children's ministry cannot be uh, understated. It, it is so important that we support our kids, that we teach our kids the scriptures, that we love our kids, and that we are able to show them off on a day like today. Uh, so I, I am thrilled to be here. Uh, let me go ahead and read the word for this morning, and then we'll pray, and we'll get started. Matthew 13, starting at verse 44. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for children. We thank you for the precious gift that they are. And we thank you for your word, which reveals to us so much about the kingdom. I pray, Father, that as we dive into uh, your word this morning, uh, that we would be blessed by it, that you would teach us through it, that our hearts would be open to its message. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, so, I wanted to preach today on the value of the kingdom of heaven. I think that's what this passage is mostly about that the kingdom of heaven is the most valuable thing that there is. Uh, and, and what I wanted to get at was that if we believe that that's true, if the kingdom of heaven is the most valuable thing there is, then the outflow of, of that statement, of that belief, is that we must teach this to our children diligently. Now, kids... When I say the kingdom of heaven, what is that? Because it sounds like a place. When you hear kingdom, you think of, you know, the, the kingdom far, far away, you know, in a magical land where Cinderella lives or something like that. Well, the kingdom of heaven will be a physical place one day when, when Jesus returns. Then the whole world will be a physical kingdom. But for right now, the kingdom of heaven isn't so much a place it's, it's more like a, uh, like a movement. Wherever people love Jesus and follow this, that's the kingdom of heaven. So that's what I'm talking about when I keep saying this, this kingdom of heaven thing is. Uh, so, so today, as we look at this passage, these two parables, we find, first of all, uh, two different ways that people find the kingdom of heaven. The first way is accidentally. Like Jed Clement, finding oil, okay? Accidentally. This, this guy digging in a field. There, there are any number of reasons why somebody might be digging in a field. 
let's just pretend he's a, he's a hired farm worker. He's, he's out there plowing. And he, he digs up a treasure. Wow, what a great day. He digs up a treasure, and, and he recognizes its supreme value. And so the first thing he does is he reburies it. The reason he reburies it is because it's not his. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to whoever owns that land. And so he's like, man, I, I can't just steal this. I can't just take it off the land. I've got to do something about it. So he buries it. He goes and sells everything that he owns, which probably wasn't a whole lot. Because remember, he, he's, a, he's a poor farm worker. That's, that's the assumption we're going on. So he sells everything he owns. He comes back and he buys the field from his, from his employer. Now, it's, now the treasure belongs to him. It's kind of, if you think of this as like a conversion experience or, or, or meeting Jesus for the first time, it's kind of like how the Apostle Paul met Jesus. Just boom, out of nowhere. There he is. The second one is finding the kingdom after like a long search. You know, you've searched your whole life for something of great meaning, for something to satisfy you, and then all of a sudden, finally, after a long search, you find it. This guy who's uh, dealing in pearls, he's a traveling merchant. And he travels around looking for pearls. This is, this is his livelihood. And he, he's found other pearls, and, and they're okay, they're good, they're worth something, but they're not, they're not what he's really looking for. They don't satisfy his soul the way this pearl of great price does. And so when he finds this pearl, he, know, he knows what it is. He knows what he's found. He knows the value of it. And he sells everything to buy it. And so again, this, this is like someone who is searching for ultimate meaning in their life. They know that they need it. They're just not really sure where to find it. And then one day, maybe they come across the gospel, and boom, there it is. They found it. It's kind of like if you think about um, somebody like Augustine from church history who, who did find or did search many different places for ultimate meaning and... Um, went off on a lot of wrong paths to find it, but ultimately was sitting in a courtyard and heard a kid say, tole lege, which means take up and read. And he read a passage from, I think, Romans, and all of a sudden it was clear to him. He had found the thing he'd been looking for, the kingdom of heaven. You can find the kingdom of heaven in more ways than this. I, I am confident of that, but these are just two examples that Jesus wants to point out. And uh, no matter how you find it, no matter how the kingdom of heaven is presented to us, the, the, the value of it is always the same. It is eternal. It is imperishable. That's what 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says. It's there in your bulletin. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The kingdom of heaven is the most valuable thing there is because it is eternal and it is imperishable. Never goes bad. And so because of that, there is, there is only one correct response to the kingdom of heaven. And that is to do whatever it takes to get on board, to do whatever it takes to get it, to keep it. What is the most valuable thing to you? What, what things in your life, if you had to, 
What things in your life would you sell everything to get or to keep? I started thinking about this for, for my life, and my, as I started to think about it, my list was really short. It was mostly people, relationships, important relationships in my life. I would sell all to make sure that those were intact. But what is it for you? What's the most valuable thing in your life? There's a movie that came out, I don't know, like 10 years ago or so, called John Q. Denzel Washington plays a kind of a middle, lower middle class guy. His son, like, faints on a baseball field. And it, it turns out he needs a heart transplant or he's going to die. Well, John Q doesn't have health insurance, heart transplants, quarter of a million dollars. What's he going to do? Well, and first part of the movie, he goes through and he just starts selling everything. He sells all his possessions and he sells his truck. He sells his house. He sells everything to try and raise money to pay for his, his son's heart transplant. Okay, well, problem is, they don't have a heart for him and anyway, ends up, he's willing to take his own life to give his son his heart. And that's, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about here kingdom of heaven is such that you would be willing to sell everything and even give your own life to keep it. Sell all you have to buy the field. Give up your reputation, give up your safety, give up your comfort. Everything else compared to the kingdom of heaven is rubbish, as Paul would say. And the the great thing about this is that when you do invest all you have into the kingdom, it's an eternal investment. I mean, you, don't have to, you don't have to follow the stock market to make sure it's not crashing. Okay? It's eternal. It does not fail you. And kids, when I say investment, you guys know what that means? Like when you have some money, save up some money in your piggy bank, all right? You say, I want to make this money grow. I want more of it. So you, maybe you invest it in your friend's Lemonade stand, like they're really ambitious and good entrepreneur and, you know, they're going to sell, make a lot of money. So you say, here's my, here's my money, double it for me. That's, that's investing. So when we talk about investing, that's what we mean. Um, our response to the kingdom of heaven ought to be that kind of investing everything we've got. But why? Why, why does it require that kind of sacrifice. You ever stop and think about that? I mean, we we talk a lot about how following Jesus is an all-in type of thing. Why? Why why can't why, why is there not like a kingdom light? Okay? Kingdom diet pill, all the all the benefits, none of the risk. I mean, why why isn't Jesus satisfied with just the Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings of our lives? Because Jesus didn't purchase just part of us. Jesus died to purchase all of us. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not part of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's a quote there in your bulletin that says that true godliness means that all our abilities, as well as all we possess, are given to God. And now let me be clear, I'm not saying that we invest all we have, give all we have, sell all we have, 
in order to earn a place with Jesus, in order to earn right standing with God. That's definitely not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible's teaching. It's teaching that Jesus has earned you. Invest in the kingdom as a response to that. I'm going to skip Galatians 5 real quick. Save time a little bit. So the kingdom of heaven is the only thing that is worth giving your all to. I know that's a, it's a statement that maybe some disagree with, but I think that's what the Bible's teaching. And it's not saying that you can't value other things. You can value other things. I value, I value food. You've seen me eat. I value food. I, I value my wife. I value sports. I value all kinds of different things. I like vacations, all right? But... But I have to value these things in the context of following Christ. If I don't value vacations in the context of following Christ, I might start to live my life for like two weeks out of the year when I get to go on vacation. What a disappointment. But if I, if I look at a vacation as like, hey, I need this time of rest so that I can be rested and refreshed for service to, to Christ, then that's, that's a way that my vacation can can serve me instead of me serving it. So value things, but don't value them so much that they become idols. Kingdom of heaven, as I said, the only thing to give your all to. Now, here's an interesting question. We talk about the value of the kingdom. How did these, these guys in the parables, how did they know that what they were finding was so valuable? I mean, how did the guy in the field, when he was digging stuff up, how did he know that, that that was gold and that it wasn't just a bunch of rocks? Or how did the guy searching for the pearls, how did he know that the, the pearl of, of great price was actually the pearl of great price? I mean, how, did, how did he know how to tell the difference between an, a rock and a diamond, essentially, is what I'm asking? Training. Somebody taught him the value of those things. Someone taught him taught these guys how to look for something valuable. And I think it's similar with the kingdom. You know, there's some people hear about Jesus and they scoff at him. They, they, they think Jesus is, is, a, is a fool, or to follow Jesus is foolish. Yeah, he's a good moral teacher, he's a nice guy, he did some, some nice things, he's a good model to follow, but ah, that's all. I don't need to give my life to him. Why do people see it that way, but other people see it as Jesus is is Lord? And again, I think the answer is training. I think the answer is definitely the Holy Spirit working in some to draw them to faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the Holy Spirit trains us to discern spiritual things. He draws some, he does not draw others. But he usually does this through the work of people. I mean, a a conversion experience like Paul's is rare. Most people don't meet Jesus by actually seeing him face to face right in front of them while they're on their way to Damascus. 
Most people meet Jesus because they hear about him through someone else, through someone sharing the gospel with them. So what I'm trying to get at is that if we are trained to know the value of Jesus, to know the value of, God, of the gospel, then we are far more likely to recognize it when we actually see it. We're far more likely to respond correctly to the kingdom of heaven. And that is why we must teach our children diligently about the kingdom of heaven. My third point in your bulletin, and uh, the one we'll spend most of the rest of our time on, is, is that we must impress the kingdom of heaven on our children. You know, Kids Quest Sunday is kind of a celebration of the fact that we're already trying to do that here at HPC. That's the goal of our children's ministries and our youth ministries is to impress the kingdom of heaven upon our children, to teach it to them diligently so that they know the word of God, so that they know Jesus personally. I want to point out uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. I think this is a, a vital passage for how to teach our children. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. There's a couple of different ways that you can uh, translate this passage where it says, impress them on your children. Um, this is really interesting as I, as I studied this. You know, the ESV says, teach the commandments diligently to your children. The NIV says, impress them on your children. But as I studied the Hebrew, it kind of started to look like sharpen. Now, I don't know how this one word means teach, impress, and sharpen. If I was a Hebrew scholar, I could tell you, but I'm not. But it, that's one possible meaning. Sharpen your children with the word of God. I thought that was really cool. I, I was really struck by that. And I love this image because it seems to fit really well with, with like what Hebrews 4.12 says, which is that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Or Ephesians 6.17, which says that the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. We are to sharpen ourselves and our children with the word of God. And as I started to think about that image of sharpening, I started to, to, to think about how maybe the purpose of our children is for them to be weapons. Arrows. Arrows given to us as gifts from God, but to be used as weapons in his hands for his kingdom. Psalm 127.4 says that like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. How do you define success for your kids? How are you teaching them to be successful? Are you teaching them that success is to grow up, get married, have kids, have a good career, get a good education? Uh, is, is that the definition of success that you are teaching them? I mean, is your idea of success that 
your kids might live a safe, risk-free life. There's a, a commercial for a Toyota RAV4, like the car, and uh, it's like about this RAV4 genie, okay, and it's the girl from um, the show with the, the nerds. What's the show with the nerds? Big Bang Theory, there you go. It's that girl, and she's the RAV4 genie, so if you rub your RAV4, she pops out, and she's going to grant you three wishes. And there's this one of these commercials where the parent's first wish is that my kid would be safe. And RAV4 genie says, all right, your kid's going to be safe. And boom, the kid's like surrounded in a giant roll of bubble wrap, okay? And the kids like shoot him up over the basket, and of course he doesn't go in the basket, he's too big. But the point is, is that really her first wish for her kid, that, that he be surrounded in bubble wrap? Or do we, I mean, is that what we want for our kids? Or do we want them to be arrows? It really struck me because I feel like there's so much more for our children than just being safe. What if our children became arrows? What if they became arrows because you sharpened them? Teach them the value of education. Teach them the value of of managing your money wisely. Teach them good morals. Teach them safety. But if we are not teaching them the value of the kingdom of God, they will be giant rolls of bubble wrap. They will not be arrows. Deuteronomy 6 is telling us to sharpen them with the word so that they eat, sleep, and breathe the scriptures. I want to give you a couple of of practical things that I've been thinking about as far as how to sharpen our children. I think that Deuteronomy 6 is indicating that this is a process that is is to take place all day long, every single day, 24-7, 365. And and that kind of implies that this is a a role that is primarily filled by parents. You know, if you think about the amount of time that your kid spends here at the church, it's probably three to four hours a week at most. But what do they spend with you? 50 to 60 waking hours a week? You have a lot more time with them. And so you have a lot more time to teach them the value of the kingdom of heaven than we do. Jennifer and I have been wrestling with this a lot. Um, As you probably know, we are adopting two boys from Uganda, and uh, we hope that they will be here late July, early August. We hope that uh, next May, when we have Kids Quest Sunday again, they'll be up here singing. And uh, as, I, as I watched the kids this morning, I was really, I was thinking about that, and it was, it was pretty neat. I mean, it was quite beautiful, actually. But and as you can see, I, I think I, I'm joyful about this. I mean, I, I think about the blessing of having children in our home and hearing, hearing them laugh and watching them grow and watching them learn. But I'm terrified, too. As Thomas DeMoss said a few weeks ago, he, he said he was joyfully terrified, and, and that's what I am, too. The reason I'm terrified is because I feel the weight of the responsibility of their discipleship. It, it is, is a heavy, heavy weight on me. Um, and this is confirmed by a guy I spoke to uh, just a couple of weeks ago. 
And he told me, Morgan, you are bringing these children from a healthy spiritual climate to a rather unhealthy spiritual climate in America. You must be doubly diligent to teach them the scriptures and to pray for them. And I'm like, great, giving me more responsibility. Okay, bring it on, man, come on. So what if I fail? What if I mess them up? What if I selfishly neglect them? What if I forget one day to teach them the scriptures? What if I forget to pray for them for like a week? What am I going to do to these kids? I mean, is it really good for them to come over here with me? I'm not so sure sometimes. You have to remember, and I have to remember, the guys in the parables. They found the kingdom of heaven on their own. They knew what to look for because their parents trained them. But they found the kingdom, and they went and sold all they had for the kingdom on their own. That was their decision. It was the spirit that moved in their hearts to draw them to Christ. Parents didn't find the kingdom for them. That's what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit has the responsibility of calling our children and changing the hearts of our children so that they are regenerate, so that they are following Christ. And it is parents' responsibility to be godly parents, to teach the word, to have regular times when you are reading the scriptures with your children, praying with them so that they know the word, so that they're saturated consistently with the word. Now, we need to remember, though, how important this is, because it is not enough for them to, to just hear the word here at church and at a, at a Christian school, if that's where they are. It's not enough. They need to hear it every day, at home, from you, from me. So formal teaching is important, but I think the second thing that's important is what I might call as-you-go teaching. Jesus, when he gives the Great Commission, he says, as you go, go and make disciples. As you are living your life, go and make disciples. And I think as you are living your life, God gives us precious object lessons, precious opportunities to teach the scriptures to our children that just pop up throughout the day. Um, one of these precious opportunities that God gave my parents was to discipline me. It happened a lot. Uh, kids, check this out. So like when I'd fight with my brother, my dad would make me stand in a corner for 30 minutes and I couldn't move and I couldn't, I'd keep my hands behind my back like this. If I, if I moved out of the corner, I got 10 more minutes. That was terrible. I hated that. But you know what it did? It taught me the value of loving my brother. It taught me the value that, that Jesus places on me loving my brother. Kids, your parents, when they discipline you, it's because they love you. It's because they want to teach you to follow Jesus. And I think it's important to understand telling them about Jesus is one thing. It's necessary absolutely necessary. Reading the scriptures to them, absolutely necessary. But they also need to see Jesus with their own eyes. They need to see their need for Jesus with their own eyes. 
And so I would say look for these opportunities that pop up day after day that just happen. You can't plan them, but God is putting them in your life. Pray for these opportunities. And the third thing I want to highlight and the last thing is to partner with the church. You know, as I said before, I know when, I, when we bring our boys home, there are going to be times when I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm going to feel ill-equipped to be discipling them. Uh, and I think that's where it's important that you have the support of the church. Um, this is not meant for you to do it alone. Okay? We have phenomenal, I'm going to brag on children's ministry for, for a little bit, we have phenomenal discipleship opportunities here at HPC, and I, I really hope that you are taking advantage of them. Um, Sunday school, which happens every Sunday, except for a couple around Christmas, I mean, our kids are getting systematic theology in a way that they can understand it. It, it is foundational scriptural truth. It, it's, it's the best spiritual nutrition that they can get. As Robert already said today, uh, it's some of the best curriculum we've ever seen. And it's all about pointing them to Jesus. And their teachers, their teachers are spiritual mentors, vital for our kids to have spiritual mentors who love and pray for them. Uh, In August, we will start Kids Quest back again. And that's a Sunday night thing. And that's a great opportunity for our kids to to learn as well. They, They get the catechism at Kids Quest. So they memorize these catechism questions. And again, this is a way of equipping them so that they are trained in the scriptures and in theology. A more immediate opportunity is vacation Bible school. Um, perhaps you got one of these on the way in. It's a vac- vacation Bible school volunteer form. I'd encourage you, if you haven't gotten one of these, to pick one up and, uh, and pray about how you might help with VBS, or pray about sending your child to VBS. Families, this is, this is a, something I think ought to be a priority for us, to be involved and to invest in our children by sending them to get the support of the church to these discipleship opportunities. Now, the church doesn't just need kids to come, because if just kids come, and there's nobody to teach them, nobody to help them, it's not going to work. So we need investors as well. We need people who are willing to invest their talent and their time with our children. You know, when we, when we have a covenant baptism here, we ask members to raise their right hand if you will undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of that child. I would, I would challenge you and invite you to to take that seriously, to see how you might fulfill that pledge. How are you helping to sharpen our children with the word of God? Everyone can have a role with this. We cannot sit back and just think that they're going to get it without, without our help. There are too many other things out there in this world vying for their total devotion. I mean, we've got, like, deodorant companies telling them that they need to be totally devoted to wearing Old Spice, okay? I mean, this is, this is a crazy world we live in where everything is trying to get total devotion from us. 
So if you want to invest, if you want to invest your time, your talent, your skills, your love, I've got a list. Betsy has an even longer list. And I want you to understand that, that when I say help, I don't necessarily mean teach. There are hundreds, I'm sure, hundreds of different ways you can help with the children's ministry besides teaching. Let me highlight a few. Everyone needs prayer. But you can be a committed, consistent prayer partner for some of our children's ministries. You can pray for infants and toddlers. I mean, who doesn't want to be around infants and toddlers? They are so cute. And you can just go and pray for them. You don't even have to, like, watch them. Just pray for them. Uh, You can pray for our Sunday school teachers. You can pray for Vacation Bible School. And that's right now. We really need that. You can pray for TASC, which is our tutoring ministry. You can pray for, uh, you know, there's... there's, uh, child care during ESL on Monday nights. You can pray for that. But listen, don't just pray, commit to pray, and then th- and tell the people involved that you are praying for them regularly. That is so important that they know that. Uh, you can come, when, when Kids Quest starts back in August, you can come and you can just be a listener. In other words, what I mean by that is when kids recite their catechisms, you can just sit and listen to them and tell them, good job, gold star. Okay. You can, VBS, like I said, here's, here's this form, VBS, th- this summer they're learning about missions, the, the 1040 expedition, which is a fantastic idea. Um, and at VBS, you can help with crafts, are you, are you artsy, you like to draw, like to paint, you can help with crafts, with decorations, um, are you medical, you can help with first aid, you can take pictures, you can set up, clean up, you can... You can lead games, you can do snacks. None of that involves teaching. I mean, I'm just trying to show you that there are numerous ways you can use your skills and your talents to help with the children's ministry. Uh, we always need people to, to drive the van for task on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The list will go on and on. If you are interested in investing your time, your talent, your love, your prayers, see Betsy, she will hug you. This is a tall task. It is a 24-7, 365 task. But God commands us to teach the scriptures to our children diligently, all day long, every day, so that they know the value of the kingdom of heaven. We are called to sharpen our children with the word of God so that they become arrows, weapons in the hands of Jesus Christ. What part are you going to play in that? Uh, Think back to when our kids were up here singing this morning. Think of them as a field. Our children are a precious resource from God given to us. They are like a field filled with treasure, and I am calling you to buy that field. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have entrusted us with so many precious children. We pray for them, we pray for their their discipleship, that they would come to know and follow you with all their hearts, minds, souls, and strengths. 
Father, we long to be used by you to sharpen our children with the word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.